0: Uh, good morning, welcome to First City Church. Uh, for those of you that have not met me, I hope to meet you soon. Uh, my name is Kyle Osborne. I serve as one of the gospel community leaders here. And uh, it's a great joy for me to open God's word with you. Uh, it's transformed my life in many ways. And I hope that it continues to transform your life. And for those of you in the room that are kind of wrestling through the scriptures and not really understanding it, uh, my, my prayer to you is that the Holy Spirit would illuminate and open some truths of God's word for you um, today and this morning. So with that, um, if you have your Bible, if you opened it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, we're going to discuss Christians taking other Christians to court. And so uh, I don't know why Pastor Paul and Pastor Chris had me t- preach through this one, but here we go. Um, so a uh, couple, couple stats for you, and then some civil court cases that I think will bring to the forefront of some of the interesting pieces of our society. Uh, In America, there are 1,352,027 lawyers. So just think about that for a minute. Pete, we love you if you're here. (laughs) There's a whole lot of them out there. Uh, Here's a few cases for you. A judge in Washington, D.C., brought his pants to a dry cleaner... And that dry cleaner brought his pants to the wrong house, delivered it to the wrong house. And so that judge got ticked off and he said, where's my pants? The dry cleaner tracked down his pants, brought it back. He said, that's not mine. And he sued them for $67 million uh, due to the tune because he, there was not a satisfaction guarantee applied to his pants. David Roller sued illusionist David Copperfield. For a patent infringement that he did not even own. A Michigan man sued Budweiser because when he bought a 12-pack of that beverage, um, he said it didn't come with the beach and the beautiful women, and so he claimed false advertising. A Michigan man, um, uh, excuse me, a Missouri man sued Reese's, stating that he's been eating Reese's Pieces for 10 years, and there is more air in the bag today than there was 10 years ago. And the judge asked, how do you know? And he said, I've been eating these for 10 years. It was thrown out for lack of proof. Uh, An Illinois man sued Starbucks uh, because when he ordered his iced drink, they added too much ice to his beverage. He claimed that they did it on purpose. They were trying to reduce the amount of drink, and so they added more and more ice. So I think some of these are kind of funny, right? But it's obvious that we live in a world where when we feel wronged, we want retribution. When we feel something is done to us unjustly, we want justice to be done. And not only do we want justice to be done, we want the things that have been wronged against us, we want that person to be put on display so that all people would know that person is the one who did the wrong, that person is the one to be punished. In the Bible... It says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I think for many of us, we can get behind that because we're like, yeah, somebody does us wrong. There should be justice. But when it comes to civil disputes, Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 5, and they made me pause. And I want to encourage you, do they make you pause as well? Here's what Jesus says. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. As for the one that wants to sue you to take your shirt, let him take your coat as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks of you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You see, in God's kingdom, his kingdom is quite different than the ways of this world. He takes the proud things of this world and he flips them around and humbles them. He takes the foolishness of this world and he flips it around. If we truly are the bride, and I mean the bride of Christ, the one that Jesus died for, gave his life for the church, shouldn't we live lives quite differently? And this is what Paul is saying. If Jesus has given his life, death, and resurrection for us, he calls us out of the world, to then go back into the world, to be a city on a hill, and a light in the darkness. If we're truly the called out ones of Christ, then our faith should mean a lot to us, amen? And if our faith means a lot to us, then the lives that we live should also mean a lot to us as well. It's not about just what we believe, but it's about the practice of our life. Now I know that we at First City, we struggle with all kinds of different things. Whether it's pride or different types of sin that are hidden, we struggle, right? And so we bring those to the Lord and the Lord forgives us. But what I'm talking about, what Paul is really wrestling through is that if our lives of faith are quite different than our lives of practice, we need to really consider, have we truly submitted our lives to Jesus Christ? In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is calling them to consider Is it just about your intellect? Is it just about the spiritual gifts that I've given you? Is it just about your wisdom? Or is your faith actually being rooted in a life that is quite different than that of the world? And the reason that Jesus died and rose again, he sends us his Holy Spirit. And that is the power that we have in Christ. We don't have to live in the ways of the world that he actually gives us a different life. And so as we jump in this morning... I want to start out with our main idea and then we're going to talk through three pieces of wisdom that Paul gives us so here's our big idea today in conflict Christians pursue reconciliation instead of retribution Christians pursue reconciliation instead of retribution so I'm going to define a couple terms and then we're going to jump in so we're talking about reconciliation what I mean is that when two people have a conflict when sin is in our midst we actually pursue oneness and wholeness and unity in Christ. When we're talking about retribution, it's quite the opposite. When somebody sins against us, we actually want them to be punished. We want them to be put on display. We want them to be shown as the evildoer. So the contrast of this is we pursue reconciliation. And as we, as we look at 1 Corinthians 6, I want to point out three different pieces of wisdom that I hope will help you when dealing with conflict. So the overarching theme is that of civil disputes, but I want to focus in some three pieces of wisdom that Paul gives us. The first one is this, we anticipate disputes. We anticipate disputes. Verse one, if any of you has a dispute against his brother, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Other translations of this text actually says, when any of you has a dispute, And so if both are true, if we're going to have disputes, and when we have disputes, why are we so surprised when conflict arises and we get ticked off, we get frustrated, because isn't that something we should be anticipating? Romans 3.23 actually tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners in need of God's grace. And the truth is, many of us don't have grace for being sinned against because we haven't actually received grace ourselves or we've received God's grace, but we actually don't believe that God's grace is good for us. On this side of heaven, we will be sinned against. Why then are we so surprised? I mean, I'm preaching to myself here, right? Why are we surprised when our friend sins against us? Why are we surprised when our spouse sins against us? Why are we surprised when our gospel community leader sins against us? Why are we surprised when our pastor's sin against us. If we anticipate being sinned against, I do believe that it, it leads us to be less reactionary and more preemptive. We can actually prepare for these moments because God has prepared us. So here's what Paul says, In I'm going to go ahead a few chapters, but in 1 Corinthians 9, he's talking about the Christian life. And he's talking about this Christian life, and, and as we prepare for the future... And as we grow in our in maturity of Christ, here's what he says. He gives a couple illustrations, a couple examples. Here's what he says: if if we're gonna run a race and we wanna win that race, we don't just show up on race day, right? I know many of you men are doing the tough mutter. You don't just show up on race day, or otherwise you're gonna be in some pain, right? So as we wanna win that race, he says, train in such a way that you wanna win that race. If you want to successfully compete. In a race, you have to compete and train like you're going to win that race. He gives another illustration in the same context in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, for a boxer. If you're going to box and prepare for your match, you need to prepare in such a way that you're going to win that boxing match. Friends, I think what happens in conflict is we take Paul's wisdom in lots of different areas of our lives, but when it comes to conflict... We're not actually preparing for those moments of conflict. We just let them come and then we're surprised that someone sins against us and we're frustrated. We're blindsided and we're not ready. A couple practical things I want to just lay before you. I think just maybe some wisdom is two, two or three different things that I think would really help and then we'll, we'll transition here. Uh, the first one is this, uh, just to get enough sleep. I think practically speaking, if we get enough sleep, that's going to help. A couple other pieces of wisdom is we went through our habits of grace. We talked through, are we in the scriptures? Are we in prayer? Are we in the season of life where we're truly dependent on the Lord for guidance and his wisdom? I think as we anticipate sin, if we're in the narrative of the gospel, and what I mean by that is we were far from Christ, but God being rich in mercy reconciles us to himself we're reminded that we were far from Christ. So when people sin against us, we're not surprised. We're actually in the Word of God being reminded that we were far from Christ. He has reconciled us and then sends us into the world with the ministry of reconciliation. So we're not not surprised in these moments. We're actually reminding ourselves over and over and over of the good news of the Gospel. That I have sinned. That God has extended grace to me and I am sent out into the world to be an agent and a minister of reconciliation. So instead of being disgusted and angry and swearing, we actually are prepared in such a way that we're ready to forgive. That we're ready to extend grace. We're ready for when conflict arises. I just want to ask, what would it look like if we actually participated and anticipated in such a way that we are ready for conflict when it arose, whether on the home front or at work or at the park or wherever. So we anticipate disagreements. The second piece of wisdom that Paul uh, leads us is we appreciate the church. And this one I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on because the bulk of this text is actually dealing with some of the truths of the church. When we appreciate the church. And I think for far too long, I've been a part of a church, but have I truly appreciated the beauty and the wonder of the bride of Christ? At this point in the sermon, I want to talk through a little bit of more of the context of Corinth. You see, Corinth was a port city, and there was a lot of people coming in and out. Uh, it, was, it was actually a beautiful thing. There was a lot of cultures, a lot of languages, a lot of trade happening, and people were mingling from all kinds of different walks of life. In this Roman city, there were people of wealth, and these people of wealth, many times, when they wanted to deal with conflict, they would take it before the magistrate, they would take it before the court, and they would say, rule in my favor. And if that other person didn't have money, they would actually win, and it was to the other person's shame. This is also the city that Paul met Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos, the skillful defender of the faith. And this is also the church that was really struggling. They were extremely wealthy. They were gifted. They had tons of faith, but yet their faith wasn't matching up with their life. And this is the piece that Paul really wanna, wants to dig up for us this morning. Is they actually their faith actually thought meant, led to a life that gave to license. They could live in other ways because God has given them faith and they wrestled with this dichotomy of dual living. Here's what Paul says in chapter 5. He says how, or actually verse 2 of chapter 6, or do you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you and you and you are unworthy to judge these trivial cases, don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters in this life? So if you if you have such matters, do you appoint for your judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Paul's actually pretty frustrated with them, right? And so I want to, I as, as we jump into this, I want to differentiate uh, between a couple different lawsuits, different cases that actually we see in our world. Uh, the first one is civil cases. So I'll give you some examples of civil cases. So for example, uh, some of these include property Lawsuits, maybe a car accident or personal damage, those types of things. Divorce lawsuits with alimony and child support. Business lawsuits, maybe somebody has defrauded you or not given you the contract that you were promised. Maybe some of these are discrimination related to sex, age, color, or race. What Paul is not talking about is criminal cases. So criminal cases are a reference to murder, sexual abuse, physical abuse, tax evasion, and burglary. I don't want to go down this road too far, but I feel like I need to touch base on some of those criminal cases. So if you are physically being sinned against, if you have been abused, if you have been stolen from, those are the types of things that Paul actually says in Romans chapter 13 that we bring to those public authorities. Now, I think Pastor Paul and Pastor Chris would love to journey with you in those experiences, but first and foremost, if you are not in a safe situation, I want to encourage you, please call the authorities. And if you want to bring the church in, I think that's also a good and wise thing as well. God reminds us in Romans 13 that God has given us those governing authorities to bring the sword and punish the evildoer. So if you're in those situations, I want to encourage you, it's okay. Call the police. Find a place safe. In civil cases, I want to give you a couple stories. So um, about four years ago, my wife and I had just moved into a new home, and uh, I was actually, of all places, at a First City Finance meeting. I think Paul was there. We were, uh, I think, at Applebee's, and we were talking through some First City Finances, and my wife calls me, and she says, Hey, Kyle, I hear some noises in the basement. Can you come home right away? And so I get in the car, and I drive the speed limit, as all Christians do. And um, I got home, and on the way, I'm praying, like, Lord, protect my wife. Um, uh, She called the neighbors. The neighbors called the sheriff's department. The sheriff's department came to our house. No offense, Pastor Paul, uh, but we didn't call you, unfortunately. Um, But at that moment, I'm concerned for my wife's safety, right? And so our neighbors called the sheriff's department. They got there. Two officers showed up. They walked around the perimeter of the house. They checked out the basement. Everything was fine. Might have been an animal. We don't know. Um, But when I got home, I came around the corner, and I scared both of them. I didn't know that they were coming out of the front door. One drew their weapon. One said, oh, darn, with other words. And I said, my name is Kyle Osborne, and I live here. (laughs) Unfortunately, I was wearing a sweatshirt, right? Uh, with a hoodie up. I don't know what I was thinking as a fall day. Um, but we don't call pastors for a home visit of safety, right? You guys kind of get my drift, right? And so, with that, I want to encourage you to have those two separate categories. We have civil disputes and we have criminal disputes. I want to give you a little bit more practical of an illustration. So, let's say, We have a great time this morning. The Lord does a great work in our life, and we're leaving here, and I get in my car, and one of you lovely people are backing out at the same time as me, okay? Uh, We back out, and we hit each other, right? So I get out and cordially say, hey, um, you hit me? And you cordially say, no, you hit me. And I say, no, 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 you don't understand. Um, And let's say, I'm just going to pick on Eric Goodell here this morning, Let's say it's Eric Goodell, and God forbid this ever happens, Lord willing it would never happen, but uh, Eric and I start exchanging words. He gets a little frustrated at me, I get a little frustrated at him, and we start wrestling in the parking lot and yelling at each other. (laughs) Now how ridiculous does this sound, right? Not too far off. So what happens is a few people break us up, we're ticked off at each other, we're yelling at each other, we get in our cars. We drive away. Monday morning comes. Eric doesn't come to the office. I don't go to the office. We go to the courts. And we sue one another. And then Eric shows up to his gospel community on Tuesday and says, Hey, I just want you guys to pray for this guy who hit me. And I show up on Wednesday and say, Hey, I want you to guys pray for, against this guy who hit me. And pretty soon, Sunday comes along and we're in the worship gathering, and we begin to really see how this plays out. So we say, hey, you got hit in the parking lot too? You got hit in the parking lot? And we realize we're praying against our fellow believers. And the sad thing here is that this was happening in Corinth. And I think too often it happens in the church. When we have disputes with fellow brothers and sisters, I beg you, would you take this dispute before you take it to the civil authorities, would you take it to the church? Allow the wisdom of the men and women here, your gospel community, those who love you, enter into that situation. I want to plead with you to not seek retribution. Don't seek your own. Don't seek your own rights. I want to encourage you to lean in. Appreciate the church and let her do her work in your life. In the latter part of verse 1, here's what Paul says. When we take those Christians to court, we actually are saying that we love Jesus with our words and our faith, but actually our lives are telling a different story. So if the truth of the matter is that Jesus came as a baby and lived his life here for 33 years, gave his life for us, rose again, and then sends us the Holy Spirit, why would we not lean into that gift this is the church that Jesus gave his life for, and yet we let bitterness and anger and frustration and retribution take root. We're no longer rebels against God. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ himself. So we know where we come from, right? We know that we're sinners saved by grace, yet we struggle to actually extend grace. And this ministry of reconciliation, I want to hold out for you this morning. I think we struggle with that. I want to hold out this ministry. If God has reconciled us, he's given us this ministry of reconciliation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And friends, this is what gospel life looks like. Verses 2 and 3, we talked about this a few minutes ago, so I'm going to read these one more time. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? I don't know if you know that, but this was a great reminder for me that we, the church, will rule and reign with Jesus Christ, not only now, but in the, in the age to come. The second part of that is he says, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge these cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? We will judge angels, church. The Bible says that the angels actually look into those who are being saved And this is the picture that God gives us, that he delights in us, that we're cherished, that we're loved, and we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ in the the coming kingdom. And I'll tell you what, some of the movies that we see, it kind of depicts Satan as this big scary guy, and the truth that Paul's really hitting home here is that when we rule with Christ, we will rule over Satan, sin, and his destructive ways. The reason that we'll rule over angels is because not only Christ has saved us, but He's given us His Holy Spirit. And as we dwell with Him, we will rule and reign with Christ. This is why Paul says it's actually shameful. It's shameful because if we're going to rule and reign with Christ, why would we trade the author of salvation for earthly courts that will soon pass away? If, the reality, if this reality is true, that these courts will soon pass away, Why do we trade the beauty and the majesty and the wisdom of the church, God indwelling his church, why would we trade that for human, earthly, court wisdom? If you go back, uh, if you flip one page, I think it is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul's talking about his, his life struggles. And he's saying, as a father, I want to exhort you, I want to push you in a direction that you would live your life for Jesus. And I don't say this to your shame, but I've really had a hard time Would you consider me? But a few chapters later, Paul says this. He says, the way that you're handling disputes is to your shame. Now, he doesn't shame them in chapter 4, but he shames them in chapter 6. Not in a way of destruction, but he says, hey, you're trading a glory for something that is lesser. This is what Paul's point is. He's saying you're letting your pride get in the way. You're taking things into your own circumstances. You're you're letting the ways of the world take over the way that you deal with conflict and you pass this up for the glory and the beauty of bringing this to the church and letting reconciliation be the deciding factor. So I want to encourage you, do you, as you look around the room, maybe you look in in your gospel communities, do you just see the men and women in your gospel community as just people that you get together with each and every week. Do you see your fellow Christians that are in your neighborhood as just your neighbors? Do you see the people that are Christians just as your friends? And so I want to exhort you with some amazing truth that I feel that like God has put on my heart this week, but here's what he says. He says, "Brothers and sisters, the men in this room, the men in this room that are filled by God's Holy Spirit are the men and women that God has commissioned and given to you as a gift." to lean in when you're dealing with addiction. That the men and women in this room are actually spirit-empowered to help come alongside you as you wrestle with marriage. The men and women in this room are actually spirit-empowered, God-filled to help you walk with the conflicts of your life. The men and women in this room are spirit-empowered as financial gurus, medical experts construction and roofing geniuses, irrigation specialists, masons, salesmen, top-notch teachers, linguists, pilots, and so so much more. First City Church, do you believe that this church is a gift to you? The wisdom and the power of God's church is a gift to you. I struggle to believe that, and I hope that this morning maybe I could winsomely convince you by God's Spirit that this church is a gift to you. Some of you in the room and watching on live stream have been wounded by the church, and for that I'm genuinely sorry. This body of believers were not perfect. Some of you have come in, come into the church hoping to be listened to, and you felt you left alone. Some of you have felt like you wanted to come in to be prayed over, and you left condemned and judged some of you have come into the church wanting to feel a part of a body of faith and you've left even more alone than you came and for that I'm sorry. This ministry of reconciliation that God has given us reminds us of the good news of the gospel that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. And so this morning I want to invite you back in. If you have held the church at Arms Lake, I want to invite you back in. This ministry of reconciliation that God holds out is not something that's optional. This is the church that he gave his life for. And he says, would you honor and appreciate my bride? Today may be the day that the Lord continues to work in your heart and make all those past sins and hurts new. So I invite you back in. We anticipate disputes. We appreciate the church And the last piece of wisdom that Paul gives us is to accept wrong. Verses 7 through 8, as it is to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat to you. Why not rather be wronged? Great question, Paul. Why not rather be cheated? That's hard to hear, right? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do this to brothers and sisters. So as we close this morning... Do you have disputes that you need to resolve? Do you have people in your life that you've treated as your enemies? Do you have people in your life that you need to pursue reconciliation? Maybe these are people in your gospel community. Maybe these are people in your neighborhood. Because we all know that when you get married and you try to be right, it actually doesn't go well, right? (laughs) Right? This ministry of reconciliation that God has given us, he extends out and says, Would you reconcile because I have reconciled you? Why not rather be wronged, Paul says? Why not rather be cheated? I think we struggle with reconciliation is because we have these rooted frustrations and we want retribution. That might be something that we need to repent of today. Father, I have a heart of retribution. Would you give me a ministry of reconciliation? We can give up retribution because Jesus Christ is the one who took on all of the sins and retribution for us. We don't have to feel like we have to pursue that because Jesus has done that for us. For those in the room, I want to extend this to you this morning. You've been wrestling with forgiveness. You've been wrestling with a hard heart towards someone or towards a group of people, and you've tried to do it on your own, and I want to call you away from that. The reason that Jesus gave his life for you is that that is the way that you're going to actually receive full forgiveness, not only for yourself, but be able to have the power to forgive others. And so if you've struggled to actually forgive, I want to call you to be welcomed into the family of God. Would you turn from your sin? Would you receive the ministry of reconciliation? Would you receive the ministry of Jesus Christ that he gave his life for you so that you might live and that you might be not only reconciled to him, but reconciled to everyone else? So with that, I want to I just pray for us. I know this morning's message can bring up a lot of baggage, lots of different baggage, right? lots of different heartache lots of different frustrations and many times those are family and not just blood family but church family and so I want to take a few minutes to give you some space to process through some of that uh, on your own and then I'm going to pray for us as we close